This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time with Core Brain Journal. And we, we have so many interesting people here. I mean... Some people say, you're a little bit effusive. You're a little too enthusiastic. Listen, I may be uh, a member of the older generation, as it were. I've been doing this. Next year will be 50 years I've been practicing psychiatry, okay? So the bottom line is I can learn something every day from the really cool people that we have on here. And we've got a guy that is making a difference. He, with he and his partner, Zach Schlein and David Markovich, are making a very big difference. And we're, you're going to really enjoy listening to this. Because he is putting something out in the community, in the mental health community, that is supportive beyond supportive. And he has, he's hooked up with the 18percent.org. And we're going to be talking more about how he can be supportive in your community. Friends, listen to this globally. Zach, thanks for coming on board. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Parker. So we're going to do, folks, is tell you a little bit about our sponsor. And then we're going to come back and introduce Zach formally. So Core Brain Journal is supported by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved, targeted mind science details. We love it. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond the commonplace guesswork that's out there. You know how data-driven we are. And here's what's really cool about them. They also provide multiple training webinars for both the public and medical providers on how to use that laboratory data, that hard data, effectively in the offices globally. And they're hooked up globally, so you can do testing anywhere in the world with them. They, they're used to it. They have a whole international side. Check out their website for references and testing details and take note of this offer that they're putting out there. Register for a complimentary test drawing. So these tests, I mean, they range from 200 to uh, whatever, 500 U.S. dollars. They have drawings every week for like organic acids, immunoglobulin G. You can find out a lot about it if you go over there to greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ for Core Brain Journal. And they will have some offers and opportunities over there for you. We, we love Great Plains. And we really appreciate the fact that we're partnering with them. So let's go ahead and talk about Zach. So Zach Schlein works in IT at Johnson & Johnson, and he resides in beautiful downtown New Brunswick, New Jersey. Aside from his day job, he is the co-founder with a Mental Health Online Community, and that's with the gentleman, David, that I was talking about a moment ago. And it's called 18percent.org. You're going to roll your socks up and down when you hear about this. 18% is a peer-to-peer mental health online community with a global connection. Zach's passions lie in technology, entrepreneurship, and nutrition. When he's not working, Zach loves to travel the world, listen to podcasts, and do the workout. Good for him. So let's talk about what 18% is the bottom line is Zach is going to tell us about it. Zach, thank you so much again for joining us. I'm going to let you tell more about it because I could read this to it, but I think it's much more interesting to hear 
how you put it together, what the mission is, because as I read it here, it's pretty doggone amazing what you guys are doing. Let's talk about it. Yeah. First of all, Dr. Parker, thank you so much for having me on CoreBrain. I really appreciate it. Yes. So all these opinions, by the way, are independent of Johnson Johnson. Um, That's my day job. But on the side, I'm working on 18%. How 18% started was I had a close family friend by the name of Lewis. And um, I grew up with Lewis. And at the age of 19, Lewis was diagnosed with bipolar and schizoaffective disorder. And one day he went for a walk and didn't come home. And he was only 22 years old. And I ended up raising uh, $40,000 in honor of Lewis. And I wanted to do more. And for other people who have mental health issues. And I reached out to my best friend, David Markovich, who has one of the largest online marketing communities in the world and by the name of Online Geniuses. And he said, why not team up and start a mental health community? We noticed that there really wasn't a good place for people struggling with mental health issues to chat, chat about their life, music, anything, because they want that connection. So we, we started this community, 18%, on Slack. And for any of you who are unfamiliar with Slack, you could think of it as like an online chat room with specific channels. And the channels are different diagnoses. And then also there's a funnies channel, an inspiration channel. So it's a wide range of channels. And our mission is really to help all people, whether they have mental illness or not, maybe it's a caregiver, but to get that connection and get that support and empathy from others all over the world. See, I think that's fantastic. I really do. Because, you know, one of the things we see, we see it every day. You know, the most frequent, the most frequent comment is somebody that comes in my office. And, you know, I'm a traditional psychiatrist with a functional medicine. I really think of myself as a comprehensive guy, not a traditional guy or a functional guy. Because if you're either traditional or functional, you're kind of in one camp or another. And what I really love about what you're talking about here, Zach, is comprehensive approach to people who are suffering and really are disconnected. And really, the stigma is phenomenally bad. I mean, they come in and they basically say, I hate to be here. I really don't want to be here. And I don't want you to give me a doggone diagnosis. And and really, the other thing I don't want you to do is give me any medication. But I do want to get better. And I think this is where a guy like you, like what you and David are doing is absolutely fantastic. Because what you're saying is, People need some connection to get reassurance, to really think about what they're suffering with, and to really have a larger confab with people who are in the same boat, who understand them, as opposed to people who are giving them the brush off or treating them disrespectfully. Exactly. And you can be potentially an 18-year-old, you're in Tennessee, and you just got diagnosed with bipolar, and you don't know, you feel so alone. And when you enter this community, you can enter the bipolar channel and just meet more other people, all different ages, um, who've gone through what you're going through. And having that empathy sometimes is the first step to then getting professional support. So we're not healthcare professionals. It's purely peer-to-peer. And the nice thing, too, is it's also 100% free. See, that is fantastic. I mean, because, you know, just batting around I think one of the things is probably, I haven't been there. I mean, I'm just learning about you and just talking to you for the first time. But I think one of the things that happen, would happen 
would be individuals in that group would, would be able to talk with each other about what good medicine is and what bad medicine is. Because, you know, you don't hear that very often, what good medicine is and bad medicine. People don't really say, this is counterproductive for me, this is productive. And I think having some hope out there, here's what works for me, maybe it'll work for you, that kind of conversation. Because people get lost. Who knows what happened to your friend Lewis? Apparently, you know, from your notes there, it looked like he may have got lost in the river. But the bottom line is individuals with different kinds of, quote, I don't even like to call it mental illness, some kind of imbalanced function in their brain function. They frequently are extremely isolated and hopeless based on the fact they don't have a connection. And that's what's so cool about what you guys are doing. That's just fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, we, I think one problem that you see, especially in this day and age, and it's ironic, we're like more connected than ever with like Facebook and Instagram, Snapchat, but we're more disconnected than ever. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you're able to instantly get is that connection from an through online support. So that's one thing that people really, really need, especially now. So let's talk, Zach, about what this whole thing is. Some people here are not as nearly as sophisticated as you are. Let's talk about Slack a little bit and somebody, how they could do it. And innocent, they barely know how to operate the computer. What does this Slack do? How can they get into it? Let's talk a little bit about what you would advise to a new person coming on board about how they could connect with you on Slack. Yeah, sure. So you could be any age. So we have members as young as 13, and we have a member who is at the age of 83. So it's really, it really ranges in age. Also, it's global. Like I said, you can sign up right on 18percent.org, and it's one eight and then percent spelled out.org. And once you sign up, you end up being added into our Slack community. And again, it's an online chat room. Once you join, yeah, if you're unfamiliar with Slack, it may feel a little intimidating. We actually have um, some automation, a bot. So if you type exclamation guide, or if you say, I have no idea what I'm doing, someone will type it for you. And we have a guide that will come up with explainer videos of how to use Slack. But once you get it, it's really easy to use. So it's really easy to just get up and get started. So there's a link right there on 18%, 18%.org. So if they go there, there's a link to figure out how to how to work Slack. And you can see a video yeah, on it. it says sign up right now. You, once you say sign up, you put in your information and you'll get an email. And once you click on the email, it'll prompt you to create a Slack account. And once you're entered into our Slack community, you will then be able to uh, have the instructions of the guide by just typing exclamation guide or someone within the community will type it for you once you say, I have no idea how to use this thing. So people are really um, supportive and they'll see others, even though it may not even be a moderator, it'll be another member who will see you struggling and they'll be there for you. So it's really, really a tight-knit community. So the next thing is, it's always reassuring to hear how the community is supportive like that. And that sounds terrific. I think another concern for the population would be, well, there are two things I'm going to ask you in a moment later on about the professional connections, but, but can people remain anonymous in there? And if so, how do they do that? Yeah. So it's a hundred percent anonymous, which is, I think really valuable. There are other groups out there that 
are tied to your name. So others see your name and you may feel uncomfortable sharing. And with 18%, once you join the community, you can use your real photo or you don't have to. You could use a real name or you could use a fake one. And your email is hidden. So no other members know who you are. So when you pop up on the chat thing, it's just going to be the picture that you chose, the name that you chose, even if it's Green Frog or whatever. And yep. you can then be a person in there and be anonymous and, and and discuss what's going on. I mean, I think it's really, really excellent that you're doing that. I think a quick point. Some Now, that question was driven by the very innocent people who don't have any idea about Slack and what to do. The additional thing I'd say about Slack is if you have a community, it's just a great place to be because people can update you. You can talk about things. If you're in a particular part of the community, you can just get regular updates and it'll keep you connected with what's going on on that piece of the community that you've said, I want to get, I want to be connected on. You just, it just happens automatically. So one thing that we see oftentimes people will relate to, let's say, PTSD, but then they also have depression. So you could be in multiple channels. You could be in every single channel. So that's what's really nice as well, that you can jump around the channels. And then you could also direct message other members if you feel like you want, if you want a more private conversation aside from it being in the public channel. So if some a member in there is saying something that's of interest to you, but you want to go private, you can talk to that person privately and still remain anonymous. Yep, 100%. See, that is so cool. And I, I think we were talking offline, and I think it's really interesting. The I don't want to be intrusive on this question, so tell me if you want to just keep it offline. But, you know, you were mentioning a couple of very important people that have supported your work out there. And I think those of us who are a little more on the geeky side, those names would come up immediately. Do you mind sharing them with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So Patrick Kennedy tweeted about 18% when we got covered by the Washington Post as a digital health technology or application that's available. So there was a conversation with a lot of many medical professionals talking about whether uh, digital health technology, if there is an application out there that actually helps people. And I could confidently say ours does, um, given the amount of people that go in there feeling really bad. And then at the end of the conversation, maybe they're now seeing a therapist or maybe they, all they just needed to do was just speak to someone and just feel a little bit better. So we do, oftentimes if you come off as like, if you're expressing self-harm, we always want to direct you to the crisis text line or national suicide hotline, or just recommend that you speak to a a healthcare professional because we're not able to support you if, when it comes to if it's continued use of or continued threat of self-harm. That's not what our community is about. Like we'd rather direct you to a a medical professional in that case. But we are an official partner of the crisis text line. So they've been extremely valuable in terms of referring members to our community. And I think we've, we've really helped each organization has helped one another um, immensely. You know, the other person you mentioned was a person that a lot of people don't know. I mean, if you're a physician, a medical professional, one of the people that's got a very big name on the digital side of providing medical care globally, it's Eric Topol, isn't it? Yeah. So his comment was, do any of these applications even work? So he didn't take 
it wasn't a favorable position, but I hope one day it would be. And also, I think it would be important for us to also continue to potentially show efficacy of our application that it really does improve people's lives. So right now, I can only share based off the conversations I see of people and people messaging me and other moderators in our community saying, if it wasn't for 18%, I wouldn't be here today. So, and I get this multiple times a week. So I know in that case, it really is making an impact. But obviously, similarly to you, I really do want to show at one point that the data does speak and we are saving lives. I would like to get to that point. See, that's great. I mean, if you could do anything like that, that would be fantastic. You know, one of the things that's occurring to me, Zach, as we're talking about this, is uh, Dr. Tobel was, there's a split going on in medicine. And this is important for you and for your community. And this is, this is going on in all of medicine, okay? So there's a split between mind medicine and physical medicine. And there's another split between acuity and chronicity. So if you're a person that has a chronic condition, that throws a lot of people into a uncomfortable position because they tend to diminish it. Hey, if you're still alive and you're not dead and you have a condition, then it's not serious enough to, for me to be paying attention to it because I'm not going to have to go in and amputate your leg. So the people who are in uh, emergency medicine, for example, surgeons, that group, because they're so tied up, their whole skill set is involved with acuity. So chronicity is disparaged very frequently by that group. Not all the time, but it's something to know. Now, what Dr. Topol does is he is very much into really cool tools to manage people from a distance with digital technology. So he's got different tools to measure blood pressure, this and that, and the other thing, and report to uh, you know, you put these devices on and they report to him in California or whatever. I mean, I don't know that technology because that's not my skill set. I'm not on top of that technology, but I am certainly not going to disparage it because I think the people out in Possum Hollow need to get some serious uh, professional help. And if that technology, that digital ability for them to connect would be a great thing. So here's what goes on. When you have a person who is into what you would call traditional medical provider thing, the whole mind thing is out the window because then the question is, how does anybody measure what's going on in mind science anyway? And my point on that, I'm sorry to repeat this, listeners, because I know you know my opinion about this or you've been with me, is, you know, what are the measurements anyway? I mean, the whole thing with psychiatric science is, is based on appearances anyway. I mean, we're really not doing data-driven work over there. And what I think we really need to do is become more precise about what we're doing, just as Zach is talking about. So, you know, the whole before and after. And what, what happens is it winds up then not being hearsay, but hey, we've got some statistics that show that this kind of thing is useful. Now, I'm going to tell you why I know it's intuitively correct, because I know the pain that's out there, Zach, the people that you're really addressing there's so many people alone in the world that don't have any person to connect with. And that's why I'm so earnestly applauding what you and David are doing in this regard, because there's such a need for it. There's no question that there's a need for it. And how you document it to people who are on the show me evidence side, I don't know. It's going to be hard to do. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. And, and we're just going to continue to, I think, see how the community evolves. Right now, our, our number one goal is just continuing to help people, continuing to get the word out there and growing and kind of seeing where this 
community turns to and turns into. And we're learning on the go as well. So we can try to help people who are from the spectrum of being not too severe and they just want connection to someone who is extremely severe. So we're learning on the go as well. You know, I think the real thing for you guys, as you know, I'm sure you know this, I'm you're way deeper into what you're doing than I am. But I think that what we all need to do with Core Brain Journal and with what you guys are doing is we're all trying to bring the actual providers into this conversation. It's interesting to me that providers kind of don't want to be in the conversation because I think they feel a sense of frustration themselves with the limitations that they experience in the actual provision of care. I mean, I've seen this happen with psychopharmacologists, not psychopharmacologists like Stephen Stahl. Stephen Stahl, who's an MD, PhD out of the University of California, San Diego, one of the greatest thought leaders in psychopharmacology. He's not frustrated because he's got answers for every doggone thing from genetics to drug interactions to the whole thing. But I think a lot of providers out there are mixed up about what to say because the criteria for diagnosis and treatment is so mercurial. It's so superficial. I mean, if we're treating human beings in 2018 when this is recorded, based on appearances, if this is the criteria, then it's going to be hard for anybody to register any expertise. And it's why the reason we are so happy having the sponsors we have, so happy having the guests that we have on who are really data-driven, because it brings hope to a community that is lost and needs some help. And the next thing is for any way I can help you guys get to the medical community, I think it'd, I think it'd be very, very good for your community to say, hey, guys, this month we're going to have Medical Doctor Awareness Month. So everybody that's on this call, let's get some way to get the medical providers hooked up with what we're doing here. That would be an interesting, uh, interesting objective. So and have them check in to somehow codify themselves as medical professionals and see what their own numbers are about participating in the dialogue, which would be a very doggone interesting thing. We're open to all types of conversations. I think it is interesting. And like, and I think one thing that I've also heard is like around early intervention, like how do you get to someone who has potentially depression where they may not have seen a provider for four years and it may be much, much worse in the future. So I think there's a lot of amazing, a lot of amazing technology out there. Maybe we can help with that in terms of early intervention and really helping people get the support they need in earlier time in their life. I'm going to go offline later on after we get done, and I'm going to talk to you about some ways because I think there's some ways we could partner on that, and I don't want to be self-serving by talking about my stuff with you publicly here, but I'm going to talk about it offline, and you can see whether you want to, because I'm having some ideas yeah. even while we're talking about it, and I, I think yeah, that it might be great. a way, because we got we have two, I'm going to say real quickly what it is, we got over 250 interviews with people like yourself who are providing niche things, and it's all free. It's sitting out there. And a person could go and be reassured by just searching, because what I do, I do SEO, search engine optimization on every post, and keywords are out there. You can go through and on almost everything is going on in psychiatry, find, pop in some keywords and here's, here's some uh, presentations on it from brain injury to vets to uh, yeah. children with uh, autism, you know, so 
that's what I'm going to be talking to you about offline. So let me ask yeah, you this question. That's I'm, amazing. Yeah. I'm going to ask you another question. We're going to take a break here. I got another another question for you. When we come back, we're going to take a break. But one of the things I think is absolutely essential is how you think what we could do to enhance the issue of making it automatic for a person to come into a group like this. I mean, I would like to, and I know you're, I'm putting you on the spot. You may not have thought about this before, but I think the next thing to help you go where you want to go would be some way to have it become more automatic that a person would say, this is something you want to go to as part of your recovery and something you might want to consider. So I'm going to ask you that question. We're going to take a quick break right now. And folks, we'll be back in just a minute to see if we can get any specific answers on that from Zach when we return. Today, the world of mind, science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professions. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSight for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot. They get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Well, Zach Schlein, thank you so much for joining us again. You know, I don't want to put you on the spot. It's kind of an amorphous question in a certain respect, but it's really exactly tied up with what both of you, both of us are talking about. How do we grow this community? How do we grow your community? And it's really not about growing your community. It's about how do we grow the conversation with people who are suffering yeah. as opposed to them being out there. It's not about Zach's community. It's about the community, period. And then yeah. Zach's community is a, well, is a group. So go ahead. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. So I have three ideas. I think you are actually doing it. You are providing exposure to 18% to a really um, amazing community when it comes to medical professionals. And I, I invite anyone who's listening as well, if anyone wants to have a conversation with David or myself, uh, to feel free to reach out to us directly. And there's a contact form on 18%. We're always up for a collaboration ideas and continuing to become more and more innovative and leverage technology to support individuals. So I think you're doing it by just sharing. And 
Another idea, we've actually spoken to a number of employers, and there are actually a few employers right now, I, I prefer not to disclose who they are, who actually make 18% available to all of their employees. It's not affiliated with the company, but it rather it's offered, it's available, it's treated the same way as the crisis text line. And I think as, as an employee, an interesting statistic is the number one reason for people to be for absenteeism is because of some sort of like mental health condition, whether you're just feeling blue or maybe you're in a really bad state and you just feel uncomfortable sharing with your employer. And I think by having this community accessible to you at the workplace, it can be really valuable. And what's tough about like, for example, Facebook is you don't want to be on Facebook at work and may come off wrong. But if you're at Slack, First of all, a lot of companies actually use Slack internally. So if you're in 18%, no one will bat an eye. But it would even be a plus if employers encourage or make available so they won't penalize you for being in this community. And then third is schools. Oh, yeah. So in terms of like counselors being aware or even therapists being aware. So we see a lot of members actually coming from their own therapists. And again, we're not a replacement to your therapist, but rather we supplement. So maybe it's one in the morning and you can't sleep and you can't get in touch with your therapist. You could jump into 18% and be like, hey guys, I can't sleep. You say why, why you're feeling down. You got it off your, off your plate because you have no one else to turn to potentially or everyone else is sleeping and then you go back to sleep. So I, I think these, these different pillars can really make 18% successful and also break the stigma and the stigma. That is so useful. I think that as I'm listening to you, Zach, I'm thinking about what we are doing here, and I'm thinking about the whole issue of horizontal communication. You know, so much of medicine is vertical. I've seen this. I don't know if you've made this dichotomy in your mind, and I think it really does need to be corrected. But what I see happen so often is people are in shock that I'm talking to them and seeking partnership with them. And I, I tell them, look, I'm the complaint department. I'm not, you know, the issue is if you don't complain to me, I don't know what I'm doing. I know something about what I'm doing, but the only way I can know what I'm doing is if you actually tell me what's going on. And my mission for you personally is to train you so you know what the objectives of treatment are and you can actually report them to me yep. with every single medication, what we're doing, what we expect, and whether it's working or not. And if we don't, if we don't have that kind of dialogue, we are not doing our job. I'm personally not doing my job, and you can hold me accountable. That is definitely the one. And I do that all the time. I actually see that in our – I mean, first of all, that's amazing that you create that partnership and trust with you and your patients. And I see that in our community where members will say, I can't stand the medication I'm on. And we all, what we have instructed moderators to do, many of our moderators come actually from the crisis text line. But if she say to them – we say to our members, listen, just speak to your doctor, your medical professional. And some of them are too uncomfortable. And we could only do so much. We could only yeah. encourage you yeah. to speak to your physician. Um, and we hope that the culture changes where the physician has that two-way conversation of what works, what doesn't. So you can mm -hmm. potentially change dosages or potentially change medications if there's other medications that um, would work, potentially work for you. Yeah, I mean, I, pardon me, I get a little excited. I get interrupted because I get excited about what you're talking about. But I mean, that is really a very cool thing. And actually, while you're talking, 
I'm thinking about informing my entire practice. I mean, this is one thing. Obviously, this crew that's listening right now is much larger than my my practice. But I mean, if everybody here that's on this call says, I'm going to take this little card. I Actually, what I'm thinking about is another thing. I don't know if you've done this already. I don't know if it's available on your website. But I'm pretty doggone excited about this conversation. I think if you had a PDF download that just on one page listed the links for the topics at Slack that your teams cover, that you could take a PDF download, print it up on one sheet, do it like a one sheet, just as if you were doing a, a one sheet media information thing, you know, like I've got a one sheet thing for interviews when people want to interview me on a, on a podcast, but just do a one sheet for 18%. And so then they could take that one sheet into their doc and say, this is something that's helped me. And here it is, divorce, suicide, autism, and just they could then take it to their doc. It'd be a great uh, way to start that conversation because the docs have so many more connections with the recovering community. And if they did that, if every single person on this call right now had a PDF that they could download and take to their doc and say, here's a community that's out there that helps me or could help someone else. Bingo. I mean, that is a very, very, pardon me for getting enthusiastic about my own idea, but I think it might be helpful. Oh, for sure. Do you have that so available for, already? So on our main site, uh, we have a list of the resources that we provide, like okay. in terms of the symptoms. Yep. And then we do have a one-pager that I have distributed, but that's definitely an idea of adding that one-pager to the homepage. And of course, you can just sign up right away and it takes less than... 10 minutes to sign up. And then you could also show the community to your doctor. Because the nice thing about Slack is that's also a desktop app and an iPhone and a uh, mobile app, Android as well as iPhone. Oh, that's extremely cool. So you can be on the go with this app anywhere you are. So you could even show the doctor, hey, this is the community I'm in. Have you heard of, do you know what Slack is? Like it's been really helpful for when I'm really down. So um, yeah, but I think that's a great idea, providing that one pager on the homepage. I'll tell you, it's it's very exciting talking about you because actually I didn't realize this about you when I was reading your material prior to the interview, but we're just, I think really the future of medicine is based on that horizontal communication because it's really patient-centric. It's enlarging the conversation mm-hmm. into participatory medicine, which is what Topol's point is. He's always talking about participatory medicine. And I think what we have is we have so much non-participatory medicine because we have a profoundly, not, this isn't everybody, but I'm telling you, it even happens in psychiatry, oddly enough, oddly enough, it's vertical. There's so much vertical medicine going on, it's unbelievable because I have people come in for second opinions, a full 95% that come in for second opinions. I asked them some basic questions about what the medicine is doing, and they said, no one's ever asked me that before. I mean, and it's a really basic question about what the antidepressant is supposed to do, what the stimulant is supposed to do, and having some kind of criteria. I'm going to just say this because you get a kick out of it. Like, I'm big on numbers. I think numbers should be introduced to psychiatry. Numbers that you can use in the office that are just completely basic. So I say on a scale from one being face in the dirt depressed, I don't care if I live or die. To 10, I feel fantastic. Where are you from 1 to 10? Now, I have to tell you, there's peer-reviewed evidence on that question as being useful. And I use it every day with every single med check I do 
for anybody that has any kind of a depressive quality going on. And I assure you, there are plenty of them. And that comes from a friend of mine who since passed away, died of cancer, MD, PhD from Emory University. He was a researcher down at Emory University in Atlanta. Very cool guy. He was on the speaking circuit with me. And every time he came to town, I go listen to his pitch. And, and every time I went to Atlanta, he'd come and he'd, he'd show up. And we had a great conversation. He's a very good buddy of mine. And he did a did research on his name was Jeff Kelsey. So I call it the Kelsey scale. And so he compared that with the Hamilton Depression Inventory, which is a really basic depression level. And basically seven or more compared to remission on the Hamilton Depression Inventory in a very provocative number of research participants that he, that he interviewed. So if you say to a person, they come say, from one to 10, and they say, I'm a five. Well, they're not where they need to be on their medicine. They, you don't have to say, how does it feel? What do you think? Should I increase it? Should I not increase it? I mean, let's just do the numbers. Because if they're at a five, I'm going to increase the medicine. I'm going to tell you that right now. And I got people that come in and I know. I say, look, you don't look like a five. You look like a dog on two to me. And then we're in a conversation about what to do next that makes some sense. It's got some, it's got a grid. It's got a, it's got a diagnostic grid that may not be accurate all the time, but it's a heck of a lot better than how do you feel? Yeah. So question for you. So oftentimes when you ask that question, sometimes you may be five and some days you may be a three and some days a seven. I think you get my idea. So yes, sir. how do you go about it where it's more of a macro level versus like that specific day? Because you're Good. going to have totally excellent question. Down. Excellent question. Long distance high five, Zach. Listen, I just tell them average. I said, Back look, I do averages across the board because like I do total average hours of sleep. I do duration of effectiveness on every stimulant medication. I teach duration of effectiveness on every stimulant medication. I've got tons of YouTube videos out there. I've got over 300 YouTube videos, many of which are recordings from my podcast, but I've got 60 of them on just ADHD alone because people don't know how to answer the questions or ask the questions for ADHD. And the same with sleep. Sleep is 8.25 hours. And this is what, guys, can you imagine Zach being board certified in sleep, you know? I'll give them credit. That to me would not be a way to spend a life, but there are people that do that. So if I say, uh, you know, what's your total average hours of sleep? Not not was it Tuesday and Wednesday, but it, over the week, you tell me, what do you, you go to bed at 11 and get up at, at uh, six? That'd be about seven hours average. And I go through it with them. Well, they say, no, that isn't what happens. I go to bed at one o'clock and get up at six, maybe five. I'm like, okay. Well, there's a criteria for doing something about that problem. We have a criteria. So if I give you a medicine, that should correct that problem. If it doesn't, I'm not doing my job. It's as simple as that. And that's where participatory medicine counts. If I give you a grid and a criteria and you report back to me on the grid, that's participatory medicine, period. And if, we do, if I don't do that for you and you don't do that for me, we're just wasting our time. This is not even, there's no, there's no effective communication without an operational grid. So we do that. We, we do a lot of that with numbers. Pardon me for getting excited, but that's, I think it was a great question on your part because that's a very natural question. Of course, a lot of people ask that. But at, over time, yeah. I train people to tell me. So I got an adolescent come in and like, for example, duration of effectiveness. Let's just take a stimulant medication like Vyvanse. Vyvanse should, when it's dialed in correctly, run between 10 and 12 hours, period. Now, what would make it not run to it? Well, 
the biomedical pathways that it has to pass through. It could be a liver metabolic thing. It'd be a gut thing. Uh, hormones and immune system dysregulations affect brain function all the time. That's why I'm always asking about body contributions to impediments. I won't get into that. It's a whole nother topic, many topics. But so uh, let's say an uh, adolescent comes in. He's on, I don't care what it is. It could be 40 milligrams of Vyvanse. When do you take it? How long does it last? And they say, I take it in the morning and it's pretty much through the rest of the day. I'm like, that isn't what I asked, buddy. I said, when did you take it in the morning? Give me the exact hour. I mean, you don't have to give me down to 15 minutes, but when is the average time that you take that medication? They say seven o'clock. Okay. When does it quit in the afternoon? Well, I don't really know because it's Vyvanse. It's hard for me to tell. I said, it's my job to teach you exactly what to know. And I go over the criteria. I go over brain function criteria, not appearance criteria. I don't care whether hyperactive, inattentive, or combined. That, to me, is antique medicine. That's 1930s medicine. I'm practicing 2018 medicine. And I want to know very specifically what their brain function is in the afternoon. And I got three different criteria, which I won't weigh. Are they thinking too much? Are they acting inappropriately, impulsively? Are they avoiding things that they actually should be dealing? Those are all executive function challenges. And then they know what the criteria are. Then they can tell me, hey, I can tell you right now, it drifts off. I drop out about five o'clock. Well, if they take it at seven and it's out at five, that is telling me it's pretty doggone close to good criteria on that medicine. And I'm going to expect them to do pretty well with that. And they're not going to have side effects. That's just a quick example, but that kind of thing. My feeling is every single person should have the privilege of knowing exactly what's expected with the medication and giving an exact report so they are, in a way, kind of medical professionals with the medical profession, giving the, that medical professional clear feedback. I call it the feedback loop. And if I'm not really training people on the feedback loop, I am not doing my job as a medical professional, period. I mean, pardon me for getting enthusiastic about it, but that's the way I feel about it. So so anyway, that's the kind of thing we do. And I think it's one of those things that if everybody did that, I'm not saying that everybody should do it because I do it. I think everybody should do it because it's common sense. I mean, like common sense should rule. And I think that kind of thing would be helpful and, and uh, for, for people to, to share and to know, because then they can know what they need to talk to their doctor about. And I hope we could continue to, or we look to continue to encourage our members uh, to speak to their medical professionals if they don't feel right yeah. with the medication they're taking, or if they're not taking any medication at all, to speak up as well. So I think that just having the member or the patient, in our case, their members, but in your case, patients, to continue to speak up and feel, have that trust, I think that would be the end goal. And I think we see eye to eye on that. We definitely do. I apologize a little bit to you because, uh, I mean, this is an interview for you. I, I never usually get right into it, but we're so much on the same path. And I could see a, a little bit of interest on your part. So I thought, well, I just lay it out because I think it's the future of psychiatry. I mean, this is what you're doing. You're saying the future of mental health is improved communication. And I'm like totally with you on that. I mean, we're brothers from a different mother on that one. There's no question about it. And uh, so um, what I want to do, we do have to wind up, Zach. Zach, Schlein, is there anything you want to end up with before we wind up here? Because we're out of time. I've enjoyed the conversation with you very much. No, I, I just want to thank you uh, for taking the time to interview me today. And again, I open it up to your community as well and the people that listen. If anyone wants to speak to David or myself on 
uh, whether to get involved or if you have ideas to continue to help people from a online perspective with mental health, we're all ears. So again, thanks for uh, taking the time and really, really do appreciate that. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll talk again soon. I really appreciate it. We'll sign off for now. Thanks for listening to Corbrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.